And welcome, friends, to Generations. Kevin Swanson with you. Also, Adam McManus, our host on theworldview.com, with us on this edition. Adam, welcome. Thank you. We've got a lot to talk about with this pop culture issue. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We're going back into pop culture. you got to respect the power of pop culture, pure culture. I, I was mentioning this to somebody earlier off air. Uh, compare a ninth grade algebra class to a public in a public school to subjecting your child to the force of pop and pure culture. Uh, wow. I mean, the force of pop culture is really, really intense. Uh, the force of the pro-homosexual, pro-witchcraft Taylor Swift. Uh, she casts a way, way, way more powerful spell over a child than your ninth grade algebra teacher. <laughs> By a long By shot. By a long shot. I mean, think about it. By a long shot. I mean, in terms of just sheer influence, if you compare the influence of your ninth grade algebra class at a public school. So you're sending your kids off to a public school. They're sitting there in the ninth grade algebra class versus, you know, the youth group, Christian school, your kids are all excited about the next Taylor Swift concert. And uh, they're planning to head on out to, you know, hang out with their peers in the pop culture of the day. The influence of an algebra teacher versus Taylor Swift, man, whoo. Quite a difference, I'll tell you that much. Huge difference. Of course, my recommendation is that you create a family culture, not just a pop culture, but uh, you know, you've, you can't replace something with nothing, and the best thing that you can do as a family is to gather around the piano, sing hymns together, play Bananagrams, go to a Christian concert. You guys went to a Southern Gospel concert. I can't remember exactly what it was. That's right. We went to Gaither Vocal Band recently. We've seen David Phelps in concert, as well as for yeah, King and yeah, Country yeah. and Toby Mac. But, you know, I'm looking at the impact of Taylor Swift. She's one of the world's best-selling musicians. She sold over 200 million records as of 2019. That doesn't even count where we are now. She's the highest-grossing female touring act, the most streamed woman on Spotify and Apple Music, the first billionaire with music as the main source of income. Yeah. Six of her albums yeah. have opened with over a million sales in a week. Yeah. 2023 Time Person of the Year. Swift has appeared on lists such as Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Songwriters of All Time, Billboard's Greatest of All Time Artists, Forbes' World's 100 Most Powerful Women, she has 14 Grammy Awards, a Primetime Emmy Award, 40 American Music Awards, 40 Billboard Music Awards. The list goes on. She's the biggest star since Michael Jackson. She's, she's the biggest female pop star of all time. Of course, the female pop stars have led the charge over the line of despair. That's, of course, what pop music is all about, is to move from decadence to despair. And so she's been leading the, the crowd over the line of despair now for the last oh, five or ten years. Uh, and females have been doing that for quite some time. Remember the Song of the Year Grammy in 2020 went to the dark, mentally disturbed tribute to sadomasochism, a little number called Bad Guy, coughed up by some artist by the name of Billie Eilish. Uh, the rest of the album was dedicated to themes of hopelessness, suicide, self-mutilation, Lucifer, and cannibalism. So that was 2020. So in terms of you know moving over the line of despair and uh, and leading the culture towards oh you know whatever it is, Lucifer cannibalism, mutilation, suicide, etc. Billie Eilish was doing that work. The 2024 Grammys looks like Album of the Year, Taylor Swift. Billie Eilish is in there for Song of the Year. Miley Cyrus is back, evidently, for something as well. Um, wow. A question came through in one of our seminars 
this last week, we have a Q&A online webinar that we do. I think we had 350 families tune in this time. It was a super, super well attended. We talked about the influence of pop culture, uh, how to talk about sensitive issues with your teens, not to lose their heart, but to get to some of the more difficult issues uh, in those relationships and conversations. And uh, one of the questions that came up in the Q&A, Adam, was, should my 12-year-old go to Taylor Swift concerts with the pastor's daughter from our church and the rest of the girls. In other words, you know, she, she's feeling like she's left out because all the other girls get to listen to Taylor Swift and go to Taylor Swift concerts and she can't. And so that was kind of a, something of a big deal for her. Of course, you know, we recommended that the family, you know, come together and develop their own uh, culture, but very difficult with the uh, incredibly powerful the uh, 400 mile per hour winds blowing, uh, the spirit of the age is blowing hard, hard, hard on our teens. And it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to stand right now as parents, as families against, uh, these powerful forces. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principies and powers, these demonic forces that are behind Taylor Swift. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say the demons are active. Mm-hmm. The short answer to that question is no, your daughter should not go. And secondly, you need to have a serious conversation with your pastor about whether the daughter should go, because it's not only bad for the daughter, it's obviously a bad role model for the rest of the kids in the church. In the last several days, Kevin, I put a meme up on my Facebook page about Taylor Swift. You've probably heard that Taylor Swift is endorsing Joe Biden. This totally makes sense since 90% of her songs are about choosing the wrong guy. So I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, and she, she's chosen the wrong guy again, I guess is the point there. But yeah, and, and so much of her music, of course, about the uh, the picking up the, the next uh, one night stand and dumping the guy or he dumps her one way or the other. And uh, that's effectively, you know, the spirit of the age. It's about fornication. It's about sexual sin. It's about witchcraft. It's Satanism. It's uh, pro-homosexual. You know, she's got all of it. And, of course, for some reason, of course, you know, that's the Christian kids that get all wrapped up in the spirit of the age. And that's only because the demonic forces that are behind the Pied Piper from Hamlin really are, are able to capture the hearts and cast the spell over hundreds of millions and that includes most of the christian population be back with more in just a moment uh wow taylor swift involved in witchcraft as well as of course the pro-homosexual line all the rest be back with more in just a moment on generations We've seen it, folks. God is working in the hearts of dads and sons, and he's turning the hearts, turning the hearts of fathers back to the sons and the hearts of sons back to the fathers and turning us all back to God. That's what we're looking for, and that's the theme of the Father-Son Retreat we've been sponsoring out here in the mountains of Colorado for the last 20 years, and I've been part of this for all this time. Now, God has done amazing things through the years. Uh, I've seen it. 350 dads and sons getting into God's word together. Nothing like it. Camaraderie, brothers on brothers. It's a band of brothers coming together. Powerful talks, prayer, father-son walks and talks, meaningful engagement. It's almost going without saying that dads and sons don't get enough time together. And hey, we don't get enough time out in God's nature playing games and going for hikes in God's fresh air. And we don't get quite enough time in God's word either. So 
Don't miss this year's Father-Son Retreats this August in the Colorado Rockies up in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Check it out at coloradofatherson.com and register today and be one of the first 125 people to sign up and save $100 per father and son. Secure your spot with the biggest discount available right now at coloradofatherson.com. And we are back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you, Adam McManus as well. Adam, it's so important for us to establish family culture in the midst of this pop culture. I honestly do not think that this is rocket science, but it does take some creativity. It takes some relational connection with one another. You know, you, you got to establish a taste and an interest in a form of media doesn't isolate, but uh, connects and certainly as families we have opportunities to, to work together. I think the family economy is absolutely essential. If you're going to restructure life and not play the way the world does, uh, especially in the cultural and social revolutions of the day, you're just going to have to establish family economies. And we work together, but we play together. We go out to restaurants. We've done uh, some resorts. We've, uh, we love games. We love bananagrams. That's something big. You know, we do that around the dinner table so easily. I, I hope everybody is doing bananagrams. That's I've never that's even essential. heard of it. I mean, it's a great family game. It's like Scrabble, but it's free form. Okay. It's it's a, it's a ton of fun. Well, it's a ton of fun. For a while, we've had Friday night was family movie night, and Saturday night is family game night. Friday night, for a long time, we were watching Highway to Heaven. Of, of course, it's not terribly theologically on point, but overall, it's positive. It's uplifting. Michael Landon, of course, starred and wrote much of it. We have also watched The Torchlighters, the animated depictions of some of the great heroes of the faith. And as the kids get older, they're now Honors 14, Mercy's 12, Valor just turned 9 in the last week or so. We just streamed Free Burma Rangers in the last couple weeks, which was eye-opening about the work of David Eubank, his wife and family, in Myanmar and Iraq and in all kinds of war-torn locales around the globe in the name of Jesus Christ. We love board games like you do. We've played Scrabble, Monopoly, Spot It. Now, you've never heard of Spot It. I've never heard of Bananagrams. You need to buy Spot It, and I need to buy Bananagrams. (laughs) But just two nights ago, we brought out Clue. My my nine-year-old said, Mm -hmm. Dad, can you please play Clue with us? I said, okay. Okay. Well, I hadn't played it in years, and it was a lot of fun. We had been playing Clue Jr., but he wanted to do the the original version, and it was just a lot of fun. When you connect like that, there's something very special that happens within the family. I love reading at the dinner table from a magazine that Focus on the Family puts out called Clubhouse, and they have in the inside front section something called Lighthouse, and it features two uplifting stories of 10 to 12-year-old kids One of them talked about this 12-year-old sister who prayed for the younger sister because she had been born prematurely and she had difficulty breathing. And it talked about how they were such close friends and they considered each other each other's best friend. And then my kids looked at each other and said, you know, this this is something special. I hope that you all consider each other. You know, maybe not at every moment of every day because you all can get in your typical sibling rivalry moments, but that you consider each other each other's best friend. And you all need to have each other's backs now and 
down in the future and when mom and dad are long gone because your family. And don't forget the read-alouds. Don't forget the read-alouds. I mean, that's one thing about the Christian kid classics we produce as part of the Generations Offerings. Um, Brother Andrew's God Smuggler, we read that together as a family. It was so fun. I mean, it's just, it's exciting. It's thrilling stuff. Seems like we did uh, a David Wilkerson as well. What was the what was the classic? Cross and the Switchblade. The Cross and Switchblade, right. Cross and Switchblade. Sir Gibby. We read that last uh, winter. That was really a, a lot of fun. Uh, reading that one chapter at a time each and every evening during the uh, darker winter nights. Uh, that is probably one of the most touching, amazing stories ever by George MacDonald. We offer that, of course, as part of the Generations offerings. But we're going to get back into pop culture for just a little bit. I hate to do this, but maybe, you know, part, part of this, I think, has to do with history. And I, I want to get to Elvis, too, in just a moment, because I, I think there's some interesting elements that, that I, I want to draw in on this. Because this Billie Eilish, Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift thing is not the, the, the first influence of pop culture, especially in the demonic realm. Uh, it goes all the way back. Well, and I want to talk about Taylor Swift and the demonic yeah. realm if we before you yeah, jump into Elvis. Can we do let's that? Let's do that first? right. It's LifeSite News has this article, and you caught it. I caught it. Um, this uh, Irish former pop star, he's become a Christian, and he said he was interested in the satanic stuff. Shane Lynch, evidently uh, Boy Zone. I have no idea who, who, what that band is, but he's now Never a born heard again of them. Christian. Yeah. Recently told an Irish newspaper, Sunday World, that uh, satanic displays are common among musicians, including Taylor Swift. So I think when you're looking at a lot of the artists out there, a lot of their stage shows are satanic rituals live in front of 20,000 people without them realizing and recognizing. He points out Swift's stage performance of her song, Willow, is one such show during which the pop star and her fellow performers dance in hooded capes with a display of fire burning behind them. American exorcist uh, Father Dan Real has warned that this show is suggestive of witchcraft. Swift herself has suggested that the song is associated with witches and even that she is a witch. December 15th, 2020, she wrote, uh, Witches be like, sometimes I just want to listen to music while pining, sulking, staring out the window. It's me. I am witches. So uh, big concern here that. You know, this isn't the first time, of course, pop music has turned towards witchcraft. Uh, Satanism was big in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. It still is. There seems to be a huge draw to Satanism with pop music today. And I guess here's here's my point. It's just so sad that pastors are sending their kids off to watch Taylor Swift. Absolutely. Well, Movie Guy did a great piece entitled... Taylor Swift promotes witchcraft on tour in Willow performance. This is a an article dated April 27th, 2023. In the Willow music video, she includes occult worship, a troubling practice being normalized in culture across numerous forms of media. The Willow music video follows Swift as she tries to connect with her lover. Something always stands in their way. They're forced to escape to different time periods where they attempt to connect again. The scenes for the first two verses find Swift in a forest, then in a 1920s bar, before the third scene takes place during cult worship around a campfire. Perfect place to reconnect with somebody is around a demonic event at a campfire. This cult worship scene has apparently no relevance to the song. I looked at the Willow lyrics. 
doesn't talk about demonic stuff at all, yeah. but she yeah. shoehorns yeah. this in visually, which yeah. is, I think, even more interesting, nor mm-hmm. does it tie into the scenes from the previous verses. Swift observes the occult ritual, taking it in for a few moments before taking her place and then joining the dance, becoming a part of the occultic event for the second half of the verse. After, she leaves to travel through time again and continues looking for her lover, whom she eventually convenes with during the final chorus of the song. The folks at Movie Guide said the inclusion of the campfire witchcraft scene in the video about Willow is confusing as it was unnecessarily added onto lyrics that have zero relevance to it at all. Nonetheless, it provides another worrying example of the way witchcraft and pagan worship are being pushed into pop culture and becoming normalized. Well, it's not the first time, of course, this has happened. Uh, I tell the story of the rise and fall of the West, and the seventh chapter is a brand new chapter just added to the third edition of Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, in which I draw out the rise and fall of the spiritual life and power of the West, and moving effectively from the spiritual influence of, well, the godly Christian church that seemed to have had quite a bit of influence over the pagan world until you get to the French Revolution, until you get to the 19th century and the seances that come to the States, until you get to the rock and roll revolution of the 1960s and 1970s. So it seems to, to me that you have this massive influx of demonic influence that comes through pop media, especially as you move into the 20th century. So I'm, I'm watching, I think it was on a flight somewhere, I'm watching a docudrama of Elvis. I got a part of it, didn't see the whole thing. Uh, but there's a particularly disturbing scene in this docudrama. It's documentary, but it's, it's dram- dramatized. And it's extremely disturbing reenactment of his hit song, Trouble. I mean, where his eyes are rolling up into his eyeballs and he's singing out, I'm evil, I'm evil, my middle name is Misery, so don't you mess around with me. Uh, extremely intense, demonic impression left upon you and upon the audience to the point that his promoter was just horrified. Now, his promoter wasn't exactly the most upstanding person anyway. He he was himself a bit of a, you know, immoral person or unprincipled person, but, you know, the audience was just horrified. Well, at least the, the teens were accepting it, but the rest of the audience, the, the adults were, you know, done with this, effectively shut him down. Until he comes back, and uh, a little bit more tame, but uh, he relaunches his career on an NBC special in 1968 with that song. So, you know, how did he come back? question is, what was the spiritual force that enabled him to come back with a pretty, you know, extensive and powerful influence in the late 60s, early 70s? And the way he did it was by this extremely demonic song. The song was picked up by a metal band, Danzig, which used the same song on the album asking the question, am I a demon? And probably one of the most pro-satanic bands ever picked up that song and apparently did something with it in the 1970s or 1990s. So Elvis Presley relaunched his career on an NBC special in 1968 with uh, this extreme demonic song, probably his most demonic song, um, called Trouble, Because I'm Evil, My Middle Name is Misery, Well, I'm Evil, So Don't You Mess Around With Me. 
Again, not the first time this sort of thing has happened. Remember, Christians were horrified when Katy Perry uh, did her Dark Horse performance in Satanic Ceremonies on stage in the 2014 Grammys, also conducted some mock homosexual weddings, uh, which was eventually approved of by the Supreme Court of the United States in the next year, 2015. So 2014 was a significant year in which Katy Perry and uh, her troop got behind witchcraft and homosexuality and pressed it upon the entire nation eventually approved of by the Supreme Court the next year. And talked about, in one of her songs, kissing a girl. Well, I'd like to point to the power and the truth for the mother who asked this question about letting her 12-year-old girl go to Swift concerts. We've clearly said the answer is no, but why not? Well, because Ephesians 5, 8 through 20 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Don't... Let your kid dabble in the darkness. Good heavens. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. And it ain't going to a Taylor Swift concert. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them like we're doing here. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, verse 15, then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because why? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, going back to what Kevin said about family culture, enjoy enjoy singing around the piano, or sing a cappella if no one plays a piano or if you don't have one. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is some sound advice from Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 8 through 20, isn't it? It sure is, and I think that's the core passage for how we interact with the world around us. Yeah, absolutely. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Uh, let's correct the unfruitful worst of darkness. And, and that's what we're doing now. One of the arguments, though, that's tossed up about this is that, hey, we're just having a little fun. We're not really serious with this. And, and that was the argument used for the 2023 Grammys Award ceremony that celebrated uh, transgenderism, Satanism, and profanity. Actually, Senator Ted Cruz and this would have been, again, about a year ago, referred to the Grammy satanic performance as, quote, evil. And other conservative commentators called it a mockery of Christianity. Uh, so, And that was Smith and Petrus's performance at the Grammys uh, of the number called Unholy, which, again, the, the title itself should be a clue as to what that's all about. Be the first clue. Yeah, yeah. that's for your first clue. <laughs> uh, but, but following Smith and Petrus's performance, Grammys host Trevor Noah seemingly anticipating the backlash for that, pretended to receive a phone call from his mother. So, so he picks up the phone, and here's what he said, no, 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 Mom, it wasn't... Oh, on The Daily Show? It wasn't act- the actual devil. Yeah, yeah, you did warn me about Hollywood. So that's what he said on this pretended phone call. You know, he's sort of mocking... It's the comedian that's mocking the backlash that he would receive from this pro-satanic celebration on the stage. So, so I, I want to address this argument just for a moment, because I think it's, it comes back to us in different forms. 
um, that, you know, hey, you know, we're just having a little fun here. We're, we're, we're just mocking the whole thing. We're not really serious. We're not taking ourselves seriously here. Now, why are you taking us so seriously? Well, Proverbs 14 verse 9 came out in one of our devotionals this morning with some of the young guys that I've been uh, discipling. So we're up to Proverbs 14. We're looking at Proverbs 14, 9 this morning. It says, fools mock at sin. Fools mock at sin. But among the upright, there is grace or favor. And so I want folks to follow the logic here, okay? There are two possibilities, and I think only two possibilities. Either these folks are not taking Satanism seriously, or they are taking Satanism seriously, and they're possessed by the devil himself. So it's, it's one or the other. You with me here? Either way, they're fools. On the one hand, if they're not taking Satanism seriously, it's, then they're you know, violating Proverbs 14.9. Sin is no big deal for the fool, right? Fools mock at sin. On the other hand, um, they make fun of, you know, Satanism, fornication, homosexuality. Uh, but the reason they make fun of it is that they're attempting to make light of sin. And, and ultimately, I think they like it. They prefer it. And they're ignoring God. They're laughing their way to hell. And, uh, and we would not support that. You know, who, who would support somebody walking into the, the furnace of fire to burn? you know, to, to the judgment of Almighty God, and, and you're laughing as they're walking down that path. Whether the sin they're, you know, poking fun at is homosexuality, Satanism, or anything else, uh, we're not going to do that. So on the one hand, they may be taking Satanism, you know, lightly, but on the other hand, they may not be laughing. They may actually be telling the truth. They may be demon-possessed, whether Taylor Swift, Elvis, Smith, and Petrus uh, they're taking their demonic song seriously. In that case, you know, they're the servant of the devil, but they're also the servant of the devil if they're making light of it. So either way, if they're presenting the music as something cool and they're attracting millions, if not billions of followers in the process, and don't, don't negate how popular these people are. Taylor Swift is probably the most popular thing in the world. She celebrates homosexuality. She celebrates witchcraft and pastor's daughters go to this conference concerts. So, you know, this is probably the most concerning thing happening in pop culture today. And we as Christians need to take it seriously and say, Hey, these folks are serving Satan, uh, either taking Satan lightly, which it's doubtful that they are, or taking Satan seriously in which case they may be possessed by the devil himself. So one way or the other, uh, we got a problem here. One final quote from Shane Lynch, this now born-again Christian, former Irish pop star. He said in this interview with the Irish Examiner, I was very interested in satanic stuff for a long period. I knew and understood the spirits of the occult and witchcraft, which I know is a dark and horrible world. So knowing the dark, I decided I needed the light, and that's when he turned to God. I mean, we think of Katy Perry, who you noted had that big moment, I believe it was on the Grammys, where she looked as though she was involved in some kind of satanic ritual, very dark, very oppressive, spiritually speaking. She was raised by, I believe, Christian missionaries, started out as a Christian singer, and then went over to the dark side, sold her soul to the devil of sorts, and talked about, I kissed a girl and liked it, flirting with homosexuality, even if she didn't in her personal life, because I think she's a confirmed heterosexual, she talking about, well, you know, I might be bi-curious. The influence that you have talked about of, of these 
big pop stars, that gives almost the license then for these young, confused preteens and teens who don't quite know where they are in this world of sexuality and think, well, if Katy Perry thinks it's okay, I guess I can kiss a girl too if I'm a girl. We need to be aware of how deeply rooted this pop culture can be in young people's lives. Well, as I wrapped up the chapter on the rise and fall of the spiritual life of the West in my book, Epoch, I came down to the founders of modern pop music, Elvis Presley, Little Richard, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and I went through each individual element in which they often acknowledge themselves to be possessed uh, by the devil, and so and, and much much evidence that they were, uh, and so you know truly extraordinary. I think the common thread woven into these testimonies from the early pioneers of the Cultural Revolution really is is remarkable. These cultural revolutionaries experienced what appeared to be the complete domination of a satanic power in their own lives during the 1950s and 1960s. Even secular historians of the rock and roll revolution, they, they, they acknowledge it, but they don't really know what to do with the endless streams of stories detailing Satanism and infatuation with the occult and on and on and on. There's this deadly cocktail of devilishness, unrestrained sexual license, power, fame, drug abuse, et cetera, et cetera. These are the works of the devil at his very best. And certainly something of a malevolent spiritual force was released upon the world in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, and it continues to this day. So I deal with this in my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. But let me close with this. I think we're in serious spiritual warfare right now. And what do we do? How do we overcome the devil? And the answer is, I think, pretty simple. The Word of God bears this out. Number one, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That means oppose him, oppose the concerts, oppose the worldviews, oppose the songs, stand against them, don't attend them. Taylor Swift concerts with the pastor's daughter, just don't do it. The world mocks at the last few Christians in the world that oppose the demonism, and I get it. I get it. The world mocks us. There aren't that many opposed to the devil devil doesn't like to be resisted, so of course he's going to mock the people who resist him. But oppose him anyway. Oppose his deceptions. Oppose the lyrics, the bad lyrics. Oppose the fornication. Oppose the homosexuality. Oppose the witchcraft. Oppose the music that casts the deadly, deep witch's spell on the hearts of the people and draws billions in to watch the Taylor Swift's concerts. Uh, and, and, and then secondly, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, by the word of our testimony, we do not love our lives unto the death. That is, we stand on a clear gospel message that Jesus has crushed Satan's head. He's overcome the evil one. Uh, Jesus wins. And then we overcome by faith. This is what overcomes the world, even our faith. Not an over-infatuation with the devil, but, but we overcome by faith. We believe in the word of God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the promises. We believe in Jesus' victory. So this is how we overcome. And I wanted to end with this very strong admonition that we are in war. Fight. Fight hard. Fight by faith. Believe the promises of God. Believe the word of God. And oppose all of these bad ideas. Take down these strongholds that uh, raise themselves up in opposition to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, get a copy of my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, especially catch that one chapter seven, which we just added, The Rise and Fall of the Spiritual Life and Power of the West. That's available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.